are living in a culture today that has shifted and changed more in the last 40 to 50 years than it has in the last 2,000 years. What happened? Why is it that wrong is called right and right is called wrong? Evil good and good evil. If you want to understand what's going on in the world and what God will allow you to do to make a difference, that's today. Stay with me. Thanks for joining us for this Thursday edition of Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram. Chip serves as our Bible teacher on this daily international discipleship program. I'm Dave Drewy. Today, Chip continues our series, Culture Shock, by asking and answering some tough questions about the intersection of culture and faith. Now, this is a message you may want to share with one of your children or with a friend. If so, you'll find it on our website, livingontheedge.org. Just click Listen Now on our homepage and share. Now with today's message, here's our teacher, Chip Ingram. In the 60s, and many of you will remember this, if it feels good, do it. Well, what's that mean? Uh, I have my truth, you have. I'm okay. You guys are really well educated. In fact, you've been indoctrinated. And, and that's, that's just existentialism. So in the 60s, existentialism meant it, it, it removed moral restraint. Who's to say what's right and wrong? If I want to have sex, I'm going to have sex. I grew up in the world where make love, not war. In the 70s, the music changed. The literature changed. Academia changed. This was embedded in the life of all the universities. By the 80s, it went into the financial district, and we learned that greed is, greed is good. Did you, business People begin to realize in universities, we have to start teaching ethics courses. Why? Because people just steal and rip people off and capitalism and our whole system doesn't work when there is no morality. By the 90s, we were the me generation and by the 2000s, pluralism. And all pluralism is, is every opinion or every view holds exactly equal power. There is no absolute, no one can tell anyone this is right and this is wrong. Let me give you an illustration. Let's pretend, just it's hypothetical, because it may not be true. Hypothetically, let's believe this is a black stool. Just hypothetically, okay? It's a black stool, it's always been a black stool. If I believe it's a black stool, someone has the audacity to say, it's a black stool, people sit on it. But brother right here with the striped shirt goes, that is a blue door. It's a blue door. Why? I feel like it's a blue door. My friends think it's a blue door. We, we are into blue doors. And, and let's see, let's see, a lady, lady in pink. Yeah, I love this pink. Lady in the pink goes, you know what? It is a red window. I mean, it's just a red window. And so in our culture, the answer is stop. You're both right. No, no, no seriously. Baha'i, Muslim, Jew, Christianity, living together, homosexuality, abor- Stop. Everyone has the right to their own opinion and their own view on everything, and your opinion is valid. There's only one opinion that's not valid. Someone has the audacity to say, for 4,000 years, it's been a black stool. If you test it, people sit on it. Um, I believe with all my heart, regardless of what anybody thinks, this is a black stool. And our culture says, well, you are an intolerant narrow-minded, anti-intellectual. Now, so what you need to understand is these, the issues of sexual immorality, the issues of politics, 
The, the issues of the environment really are symptoms of a shift in truth. And, and they've seeped in, okay? I don't want you sitting here thinking, oh gosh, boy, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a blue door, red window person. I don't know how, you know? You know it's, the, it's, it's the culture. It's the education. So now, Christians, when they say, instead of it's a black stool, I believe the Bible's God's word. I believe that we're to be light and salt and loving. We're to be light and salt and loving to people that are living together, people who are radical environmentalists, to people that are involved in the homosexual lifestyle, to people that are cheating, to people who are loving because Jesus loves them. But I have to tell you, it would be unloving to do anything less than tell you, he's the savior of the world. And how he says life should happen and how relationships should happen and how cities and communities should live and how we should take up the earth, it's absolutely true whether you believe it or not. The, but we're still not there because even if we can agree there is an absolute truth, here's the big question. Who gets to say what's true? Right? There's a, there's other, most other world religions believe in an absolute truth. So who says what's true? And on what basis? And I would suggest that if these symptoms, homosexuality, abortion, the environment, politics, human sexuality... If, if there are symptoms of how we view truth, I would suggest that the past philosophical issues have a deeper, it's our present spiritual implications, and that's scripture. Is scripture culturally interpreted, or is it the final authority? In other words, what, what we have now, and this is, this is us, this isn't anybody out there, this is us inside the church going, yeah, I, I understand Ten Commandments, you know, no, no idols, and I understand what Jesus said, I understand what Paul said about sexuality, about immorality, about same-sex relationships, but I don't, I just don't really think that's for today, because we really love each other. But I love Jesus, I love to come to church, that one song, you know, I love that, that one, that one really gets me, and I want to be a nice person. And so we have this dichotomy where we can actually, as Bible-believing, loving followers of Jesus, we've now gotten, grown so accustomed to glasses that 35% of the people that are young say, we're living together, but I love Jesus, and I believe the Bible, but the Bible for me is a lot like a salad bar. I like that, I like that, and I like that. Okay? I, I don't mean that facetiously. And there's this dichotomy. But, but here's what I want you to hear. Here's the compassion of God. You know, well, people always laugh when I say, you know, I don't believe in gravity, and you step off three stories, and we all go, <laughs> right? Because what do you know what's going to happen? There's a big fall. But if you, if, literally, if, can you imagine if you stepped off of three stories? You might live, but probably have a couple broken legs, internal injuries. Now, listen carefully. You don't have to believe that life is the most precious thing. But if you're sitting in here today and you've had an abortion like many of my friends, or you urged a woman to have an abortion, you understand what the loss and the pain is like. You understand what post-abortive depression can be like. You've been forgiven and Jesus loves you, and, but some of you can't have kids now. And some of you have been through pain that you, and you know what, you didn't know anything, it was unintended, you, many of you weren't even Christians, and yet, you know what, you don't have to believe but the consequences are the same. 
And you know, you don't have to, we don't have to believe that, that marriage is just between a man and a woman and here's the design, but sexual immorality and whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, whether it's liars and adulterers and fornicators or others, when we have done those things, the consequences are the same. You feel ripped apart. You feel shame, you feel hurt. You got a kid living in this house, another kid living in this house. Half of all the women that go through a divorce live below the poverty level. God's heart and design when he says, thus says the Lord, this is true. Jesus, remember his last prayer? Oh, Father, glorify your son now, just like the glory I had before the foundations of the earth. I pray not only for these disciples, but for them that will believe through them. Now, Father, I pray that they might be one even as we are one. Now, sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy. How? By your word. Your word is truth. The Apostle Paul would say all Scripture is given, literally breathed by God, and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man or the woman of God might be fully equipped to live out this new life. God's word, the issue in our day is not the symptoms. The issue is even beyond truth. The issue for you and for me is, is this the final authority And light means that I live my life whether I feel like it or not. This is the final authority about how we guard our environment and model that. This is the final authority about abortion. Even if we're ones that have been washed who've had abortions. This is the final authority when out of love when our young people going through puberty, 25% of all young boys have some level of same-sex attraction. It doesn't mean they're homosexual. But, but in most churches that believe the Bible, you say that you have an issue like that, there's no safe place. We've, we've got to have the compassion and the love and the light. And then at the end of the day, this is the final authority. Here's, here's what I know. Hear my heart. Hear Jesus' heart. There's a significant percentage in this room you're sitting here, you live, you're living with someone, or you're having casual sex, or, or you're in the lifestyle. Or, I mean, even the conviction you feel like, I, it's, you only log on now and then, but, or some of you are in, you're, you're, you're having an affair, or you're really discouraged with what's happening because there's different seasons of marriage that are really hard, and you're kind of just flirting right now, but you can feel, right? We're human. The question is, what do we do? How how do we be the salt and be the light and and not have these compartmental lives? In Paul's day, they lived with the same thing. In fact, it was far more sexually immoral even than in our day. The average man, especially an aristocrat, remember, Rome has the rule, but the Greeks have the culture. So if you're a Roman citizen, you have a wife, and she is for lineage. In other words, she gives you sons. If you're a Roman man, you have, uh, they had a rule in Rome, and uh, they would bring children before you when they're born. If there was a defect, you went like this, or often it was a girl, you went like that, and they put them to the dump. And Christians changed the world because they'd get on the dump and then they would pick them up and love them and raise them, much like you all are doing with foster care in this area. See, the way you bring light is you make a difference. But, but he would have a, a woman like that for his, his marriage. She, she wouldn't even eat in the same room. There would be a, a, a young gal, usually, who was a, a slave, He could have sex with her whenever. And then he would go 
And, you know, maybe in Ephesus, Temple of Diana. And there would be all kind of, wor- I mean, all kind of worship, but almost all the worship had sexual immorality as a part of the worship. And you could get heterosexual or homosexual just depending on what you felt like that day. Into that world, the Apostle Paul is speaking and saying, Jesus, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You have been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been changed. Here's the new way to live. And it was hard. In fact, he's speaking to them and he says to them in the context of this passage, you know, we got some guy who's, he's shacking up with his dad's wife. I mean, I mean, that pushes the boundaries even for the secular people. And so he's, he's instructing them about how we have to live purely. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is God's word for us to be salt and light when you live in a sexually saturated culture. He says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So that's that big broad word. Fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. In other words, you know what he's saying? You, you don't have to criticize the people in Hollywood or, you know, the people on the city council or you don't have to be negative and... You know, It's not my job or your job to judge people outside of the Bible-believing church and say, they're terrible and they're doing this. And he says, we don't judge them. In fact, that's the issue when Jesus, judge not lest you be judged. We don't judge the outside world, but notice what he goes on to say. He says, uh, but now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater, a slander, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. So it says, not on the outside, but those that claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm writing to you not to associate with those who habitually live a lifestyle that is contrary to the truth and the truth of God's word, and yet call themselves brothers and sisters. He goes on to say, what business is of mine to judge those outside the church? Grammatically, he makes it clear, none. Are you not to judge those inside the church? Grammatically, absolutely. God will judge those outside the church, then notice the application expel the wicked person from among you. One of the greatest myths that's happened in the culture and then in the church is this idea that we're not to judge one another. You're called to judge one another. But the word judge is not judgmentalism. We're loving, caring accountability. You see a friend that's veering off morally. You see someone treating their mate in a different way. Or I met a lady two nights ago who... You know, she has a friend that was having an adulterous affair, and she literally just said, hey, you know, I'm concerned about you, and just started to talk about it. Who are you to judge me? You've sinned before. What? See, that's the attitude that's happening in the church. And so most of us are either fearful or silent, and we don't hold each other accountable. In fact, this whole passage is the Apostle Paul teaching a church when people habitually are living in ways that are contrary to the truth in Scripture, He would go on to say, you're going to judge angels. Can't you judge each other? But the judgment isn't a condemnation. It's a confrontation. It's an accountability. It's Matthew 18. It's you see someone you really love. Because what's going to happen? Death, destruction, pain, divorce, separation, disease, hurt. It's because you care. And so you go to him, Matthew 18. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. You know, I'm seeing this. I'm really concerned about you. Let's talk about what's going on. They won't listen. You bring another person that loves and cares and 
and they won't listen. Well, then you take it to the church leadership and you say, you know, this, and see, that's, that's not happened for about two decades in most Bible-believing churches. And so over time, the leaven has multiplied and churches are filled with people with unbiblical divorces. Our churches are filled with people that are living together. Our churches are filled with people that are living in the homosexual lifestyle. And you know what? You can say, well, I, I love the worship and I believe in this, but you know, who, the glasses are, who is anyone to tell me what to do? And Jesus would say, I am. And the Bible would say, here's the absolute. But, but listen to why. God sets boundaries for your good. Outside of his boundaries, even the Ten Commandments. I remember teaching that series, and I reframed it. God's boundaries for abundant living. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. When God gives us commandments, behind every commandment is a heart of compassion and wisdom and knowledge. Basically, the wisdom of God, the word Hebrew wisdom isn't intellectual. Hebrew wisdom is understanding the pathway by which to live to get the highest and the best from God. And so he says, here's how you should do relationships. Here's the plan for money. Here's the plan for conversation. Here's how you do leadership. Here's how you raise your kids. It's the wisdom of God so that you receive the very best from God. He loves you. And so when we say to God, I don't want to do life your way, we in essence are saying, I know more than God. I'll be the judge. I'll say what goes. And our, and our culture is reinforcing it. But what happens if we're not salt and we're not light? What happens to us? What happens to our relationships? What happens to the message of Jesus? He goes on to say in chapter six, skip down to verse nine. He says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by his spirit. When I taught on homosexuality, I still remember walking out and before the service and there was a guy on the edge and he said, hey, this is gonna be interesting. I said, why do you say that? He said, well, your notes say, what do you say to a gay friend? And I'm gay and I'm his friend and he asked me to come, so I came. And he stood up and we talked for a little while and because where I was in Santa Cruz, we had just lots of people in the gay lifestyle and became friends and learned. And I said, well, would you do me a favor? He said, well, I guess when I get done, and he didn't know we were filming it for a small group. I said, when I get done, I'm going to teach it twice tomorrow. You'll listen like few people. Would you come up and give me an honest, brutal critique whether I'm fair to the homosexual position? Because I, I, I quote literature and, and I want them really to, you, you know, and even body language. Would you? He goes, okay. So, you know. Here's the message, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I get done, come back down. And I'm thinking, and here he comes, and I literally, I remember, I pulled out my pen, got my little, I said, okay, what, shoot it straight. I mean, I really, I really want to hear. He said, well, man, um, overall, I think really pretty good. He goes, how you started, like, blew me away. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you said that, you know, those of us in the lifestyle, often we hear about Christians in general, and, and then you, you apologize to the gay and lesbian community. He goes, I've never heard you guys do that stuff. And then you said there's people over here, they call themselves Christians and they hold up signs and they scream at us and they yell bad names and we're going to hell and they seem really angry and some of them are violent and we're afraid of them. And you said they're nothing like Jesus. They're all truth and no love. 
But he said, there's other people that you said, they call themselves Christians and, and they say that you can, we can keep living the way we are and this is sort of God's design and you know, their pastors are homosexuals too and you said they're all love but no truth. And then you know, this is, I'm right in the Bay Area, they're right in the middle of Silicon Valley. And he said, when you quoted that statistic that the average lifespan of a male homosexual in the Bay Area is age 43, and then you said, how could it be loving to know what is killing a person and not tell them that lifestyle and behavior is a death style and I care about you? Not, not some higher, better than, but with tears in your eyes. I, if I knew someone had cancer and I knew what was causing it, and I said, well, you know, I want to be loving, so they're just going to die. And he said, when you said that, I just realized Jesus really brings light, not heat. I had a similar friend, because uh, some of you are thinking, you know what, I kind of want to forget that passage about don't associate with, right? Because in your mind, like after each service, I've talked to people and it's like, you know, my daughter isn't a lesbian and this is where we're at or I have one of my best friends and if I say something to my best friend like what you said, we might not be best friends anymore. Here's what I want you to hear. I get it. Let me give you three takeaways as we uh, move ahead. Takeaway number one is get educated. Okay, you have got to understand the issues, articulate them, know what's going on. You, your friends, your family, your small group. Second, model a biblical lifestyle. This, this is gonna be one of the greatest days of some of your lives. You know, when I, said, when I said that some of you are living together, some of you are in the lifestyle, your body language, people are great. They go, oh yeah, I'm one of those, literally. That's what you, all over the room. But that was like the early church. Today, you're gonna get a chance to be clean, to repent, to own it, to say, God, it's not what I believe or what I feel. I'm gonna live for life, I'm gonna be salt, I'm gonna be light, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna receive forgiveness, I'm gonna get a new start. And what I know is there's former fornicators and homosexuals and liars and drunks and swindlers and idolaters in this church and they've been washed, they've been sanctified and I'm gonna come clean and get forgiveness and they're gonna help me. And I'm gonna have a brand new life and it may be hard but you will give me life and forgiveness and change and your bride will get pure and you will use my life like never before. Chip will be right back. But if you've just joined us, you're listening to Living on the Edge with Chip Ingram. Chip's message today, Salt and Light, is from his series, Culture Shock. In this bold series, Chip addresses fundamental yet controversial cultural issues from a winsome biblical point of view. Topics covered are human sexuality, the truth about sex, abortion, homosexuality, and the church and politics. Parents, help equip your children to know the truth about these important topics and consider using this series as a devotional study with your teens and preteens. Chip does the teaching and brings the issues to the table in a way that promotes discussion versus debate, light versus heat. The small group study is currently discounted, so take advantage of this opportunity and order your study today. Just give us a call at one 888 333-6003, or visit us online at livingontheedge.org. Well, Chip, in today's message, you gave us an analogy of an iceberg representing the cause and symptoms of our cultural dilemma inside the church. And you referred to things like sexual immorality as a symptom, not as a problem. 
Let me clarify that a bit. It's certainly a problem that there's sexual immorality. But I think the church uh, has argued and there's divisive issues and people being very angry in evangelical circles arguing about homosexuality or human sexuality or abortion. And what we need to understand is those are symptoms. The Apostle Paul talks about sexual immorality as a broad issue. And what it does, it destroys relationship of men and women together. It destroys families. And so what I wanted people to understand is that there's a bigger issue. And the bigger issue is the issue of truth. Is it relative or is it absolute? And the real issue in Bible-believing evangelical churches is not those symptoms of politics and the environment, sexual morality. The real issue is our view of God's word. And is it the final authority or are we going to sort of interpret it as we experience and how we think best in our day? Well, Chip, for 4,000 years, the truth you just talked about has stood firm. And it's only been in the past several decades that we've seen the separation begin to destabilize things. And right now, it feels like the whole thing is descending in a heap. Uh, What can we do to stop the erosion? Well, I shared this message at a very, very large church in Florida and then had the opportunity after multiple services to talk with people. And and what you found is that people were just completely unaware of um, what the Bible said and the philosophical basis for what's occurred in the last 50 years. And when I began to unpack that, and in the book Culture Shock, I spend a couple chapters on it because, you know, as I shared in today's message, I wrote my thesis on this at West Virginia University. And uh, when I was doing grad work there, it was there that I realized I can't throw my brains in the trash to be a Christian. So what is truth? How did we get here? And what I find is many of our young people or many parents or grandparents are kind of going, wow, what's happened? I mean, it's just like the whole world changed and, you know, sex outside of marriage used to be like wrong. Homosexuality used to be wrong. Abortion used to be wrong. And and I don't mean just the legalistic, you know, do this, do that, wrong, right. I mean, from the heart, what does God want for his people? How does he protect us? Why does he give us commands? And what I've seen is that people have no idea how we got here. And then as a result, it becomes sort of this battle of my view versus your view. And and there's no sense of God declared in his word, this is true. I love the words of Jesus, his very last night on the earth. He prayed, Father, set them apart or make them holy. How? Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And so at the heart of culture shock, whether we put it on DVD or book or MP3 or CD, we've put it in multiple ways for people to get it, even the message notes for free on the web, so that parents could get together with their kids and watch this and talk about it because they've not talked about it. And now they find their kids in high school, college, and beyond who look at them and say, Dad, Mom, you know, I don't know where you're coming from, but uh, that's just not what I believe anymore because they've never heard differently. Thanks, Chip. For complete information on all the Culture Shock resources, including the book and previews of the small group video sessions, visit us online at livingontheedge.org. Or if you'd prefer to talk with someone about these resources, you can always reach us by calling 1-888-333-6003. And for a limited time, the small group study of Culture Shock is significantly discounted. To get your copy today, visit us online at livingontheedge.org or give us a call at 1-888-333-6003. 
You know, a great way to stay engaged and connected to Chip and living on the edge is with the Chip Ingram app. You'll be getting all these culture shock messages, Chip's free message notes, and much more. Not only that, but it couldn't be easier to order resources or give us a call right from the app. To download the Chip Ingram app, just go to Google Play or the App Store. Well, tomorrow on Living on the Edge, we'll continue our current series, so be sure to make plans to join us then. For now, this is Dave Drury saying thanks for listening to this edition of Living on the Edge.